Amen. Hey, to give you guys some time to turn to page one. Okay, we're there. Let's move on. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a workbook, there's some more back there, uh, right by Don. Don with his hand up there, right there behind Don. Don, you, he's the man. You find Don, you find a workbook. That's right. But if you don't have one, we got some back there. We got some more ready to go. But anyway, that's right. The introduction. We're in the study called the World Religions, Cults and the Occult. That's right. And as we saw there, we are still in the introduction. And that's right. No pressure, Cheryl, but it's all on your shoulders. If you've been praying really hard this week, we might actually finish the introduction. So can you handle the pressure? She can handle it. That's right. Give it up for Cheryl. But that's right. Introduction. We're taking a look uh, at various things. Eventually, we'll get into all those ones you can see there on page one. And then we begin to see, well, how did this happen? How do we end up? Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. He's the only way to heaven. The Bible's clear about that. Jesus said it. I didn't. So how in the world did we end up with so many different world religions, cults, and even, uh, unfortunately, the occult, okay? Well, it's because Satan, okay, is the one who is blinding the minds of those who don't believe. The whole world is under power sway of Satan, the scripture says. And we saw that the way he does that, number one, is to get people, even you and I today, even as a born-again Christian, away from this book called the Bible. Because if you don't know the Bible, you might be born again, but you can be swayed, you can be duped, you can get involved, we'll see tonight, involved in a cult. If you don't know the scripture, we'll see that in a bit. Then we talk about, well, what's the status of them? Okay, well, uh, Islam, we saw, is uh, on the rise, uh, not because necessarily of the absolute incredible truths that it contains. Uh Uh-uh, that's not the case at all, okay, because it's not true. Uh, But also the population factor is really what's going on, is why they're increasing, increasing. Then we saw on page two, that's right, Christian cults, though, are experiencing a growth. Why? Because it actually coincides with the Bible prophecy issue. 2 Timothy chapter 4, in the last days, the church is going to get better. Shine, shine, Jesus, shine. No, it's not. It's going into apostasy. And one of the things with the apostasy is they're not going to want to hear the truth anymore. So what, and that's the phrase there, the cults are the unpaid bills of the church. Okay? They're flourishing now today because people aren't being taught the Bible. Okay, and then we thought, well, what's the difference? We said, here's five things you can see that if they go off of these, they're going to eventually into either a different world religion or a cult or the occult. And the first thing is their source of authority. What is your source of authority? If it's not the Bible and only the Bible and just the Bible, you're going to end up in air and it's going to spill downhill from there. You're going to get God wrong, Jesus wrong, you and I, mankind, and the means of salvation. You're going to get that wrong too. Okay, why? Because your source of authority is messed up. Then last time we saw... The study, the different, if you will, the, the lower, the sub-world religions there, they're out there, uh, but the, typically there's the five main ones, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, and Buddhism, but we saw Sikhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Jainism, Shintoism, Zoroastrianism, and Baha'i faith, and then we took a look at that pie. Remember the pie chart we saw there? Okay, and we said, well, hey, things are pretty good in the world. I mean, it says there in that pie chart, Christians, 33 some odd percent are Christians. Yay! That's not true because he says there, if you can believe this, these pie charts they keep coming up with, who do they lump in there? They lump in the Roman Catholics and Roman Catholicism is not biblical Christianity. They even lump in cults like Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and that dreaded act. Okay, so that seriously reduces, you take all that into account, this is really what you got Christendom. Then we exposed last time, well, wait a second, because of the apostasy, there's something going on in the American church. It's called, it's being flooded with a bunch of fake phony Christians. And so take this little pie and make it even sliver. Why? Because that's what the scripture says. Jesus said, really, here's the issue. Many people, the bulk of the planet is going straight to hell. There's only a few who find the right and only way, and that's through Jesus. So really, folks, this is us right here, okay? You better hold on to what you got, okay? Because it's about to get even worse. Now, we're on page six. Woohoo! Cheryl, give it up for Cheryl and her prayers this week, apparently. Uh, cults, right? Now we're going to take a look at, at cults. We've been looking at world religions and the exciting introduction of uh, world cults. But now cults. What is a cult? Let's take a look at the definition. It's more difficult as there are many definitions to choose from. The non-Christian definition of a cult usually is focused on sociological, psychological, or behavioral issues. According to these factors, a cult is a religious group that seeks to control, is your first blank there, to control its members either by a single individual or the organization, right? And we all know that you and I are a cult. Did you know those people have actually said that? We're a cult, right? But, uh, but a cult, one of the classic signs is that uh, uh, is to control you, right? Now, believe you me, as a pastor, as a teacher, I wish I could control you, right? I wish I had that button that they have, what, staples? You press it, right? You push it. It makes them, everybody do, including myself, what God says to do. Because it's for our good. I wish I had the button. That's easy. And everybody is, obeys automatically. I wish I could have that control, but I don't. 
No, and it grieves you. It grieves you as a pastor. It grieves you as a counselor when you share God's truth, which is for your good, and people walk away. But hey, listen, this isn't mind control, right? I'm not the thought police. I wish you would obey. I wish I would obey. I wish we'd all obey God's word. But listen, you have the freedom, unfortunately, to say no, right? Because this is not a cult. We're Christians, we're a family, etc. Okay, but that's a major difference. They want to control, okay? The cult is manipulative and demands total commitment. Underline that, total commitment and loyalty of the followers. Examples are the Hare Krishnas, the Sun Young Moon's Unification Church, or the Moonies, uh, David Koresh. Uh, even truly Christian groups can be cult-like, listen, in their use of manipulation and demands of loyalty. Now, one of the recent ones, one of the most well-known ones that were supposed to be Christians, okay, uh, even supposed Protestant Christians, albeit from the charismatic route, and that was, of course, what went on with the Jim Jones massacre. Okay, well, what's going on? And I want to share a little bit of that background if you're not familiar with that, but I want to share with you the big question that is like, wait a second, why? I mean, these ain't new agers, right? These aren't people who are into Islam. These are people professing to be Christians in America. How in the world did this happen? You'll get the answer at the end of this. The guy says this. He says, you know, the term cult really came to people's attention. For many people, the first time they ever heard it was back in November 1978. He said, I'll never forget I was leaving Manila that morning. I was flying to Singapore, and I got on the airplane, and people were reading the newspaper, and everybody was saying, I can't believe it. How could it happen? And I opened the newspaper, and there in the Manila Times, the headlines read, 913 Americans from California commit mass suicide in Jonestown, Guyana. And if you remember, he says the cover of the Times Magazine that week, it was this, the cult of death, telling the story of Jim Jones and the People's Temple in San Francisco. Well, Jim Jones had moved out to California, established what he called the People's Temple in the Bay Area. He gathered a group of followers around him and began to teach, listen, that he was the voice of God. Wrong answer. If I ever get up here and I say, excuse me, sunrise, I am the voice of God. What should you do? Take me out. Ron, that's pretty violent with a gun there, but hey, you do what you got to do, man, right? Get out of here, right? Excuse me, where's the voice of God? Where's the only one voice of God? Right here in the Bible. So if somebody comes up to you, say, I am the, run. Okay. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so, but he, he only says that. Here's another phrase. We've talked about this before. He didn't just say he was the voice of God. He was what? The prophet of God. And boy, is that used so loosely and dangerously today. How many people do you know? Oh, I'm the prophet. Or the lady's the prophetess. And I'm the voice of God. <laughs> Run! <laughs> right? I'm telling you, stick to the word of God. Don't budge from this baby. Man is always going to get something wrong eventually, okay? This is the only voice of God, okay? But anyway, so that's what he said. People fell for it, okay? And that when he told them to move down to Guyana in South America and establish a commune in Jonestown, they did. Over 1,000 people from the Bay Area moved to South America, and we hear on the last tapes where he was telling his followers that he is the Messiah, that he is Jesus Christ himself. And you're thinking, how? How? What? what? Again, if I got up here and I said, I can't even say it because that's so blasphemous. And I don't want Ron to shoot me. <laughs> but if I came up here and said that, what would you do? You say, get, public committee, do your job. Get another guy, right? And, right but what? A thousand, not one, not ten, a thousand went with this guy. Why? We'll get to that in a second. And, when he, we, and then, <clears throat> you know, he said that he was the Messiah, Jesus Christ himself. <clears throat> and he told them to drink poison. Now, again, if I got up here, and I said, you know, drink poison or eat chicken. I mean, what would, what would she do? 913 people from California took Dixie cups, dipped it into a vat of great Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. They gave the poison to their babies, their children, and then drank it themselves. <clears throat> and Newsweek had it on the cover of the picture. <clears throat> 900 Americans and their bloated bodies including the children lying in the hot tropical jungle, committing mass suicide following a man who they believe was the voice of God, the prophet of God on earth. And the people said, he said, how could it happen? I mean, how can you have a thousand intelligent Americans from California follow a man and be told to drink poison and commit mass suicide? He said this, it's interesting to me that the commander of the U.S. forces who was responsible for going down to Jonestown and cleaning it up and bringing out the bodies back for, to America for burial. When he returned to Dover Air Force Base, he held a press conference, and he was a Christian. 
And he said, I'll never forget one of the things that the commander stated. He said, quote, you know, the thing that interested us most about Jonestown, he said, when we cleaned the camp out, we did not find a single Bible in the camp. Not one. They all died. They all duped. Because not one Bible was there. And if we don't want to be duped today, and don't kid yourself, you don't want to get into, maybe it's not going to be a full-blown cult, but if you don't want to get led astray in any kind of false teaching, following a false teacher and some heresy, what do you do? You better not just have a Bible around. They had none in that whole camp. You better get in it and read it. You wonder why on Wednesday nights for how many years now? Discipleship 101, Discipleship 102, Intro to Apologetics, Defenders of Faith, and now this study. So we can get equipped, so we can know our Bibles backwards and forward, right? It's not just, and how many times do I say this? So that you can win that column on Jeopardy if you ever make it down to L.A. That's right, on the weekend. No, it's for your own protection. So you don't be led astray, and that's what the enemy is working. But that's what cults do, okay? They want to control their people. But let's take a look at some more. The group displays excessive, zealous, and unquestioning, is your next blank there, unquestioning commitment to its leader, whether he's alive or dead, regards his belief system, ideology, and practices as the truth, as law. I remember one time in Sacramento, I was getting my hair cut. The guy that cut my hair, he was a Christian too, and we'd always rap about stuff. And uh, he says, hey, I had an interesting uh, client come in earlier and uh, she, getting her hair cut. And uh, she was a Mormon, and boy, she was proud of it. And uh, uh, he says, I, I just couldn't take it anymore. And, and she was so proud. What she was boasting about, she was of the lineage. She was talking about the founder. You can't question the founder or anybody, even whether they're dead or alive. Just don't question. They're so whole, right? And she was like, so I am the actual of the lineage of Joseph Smith. Like of the fourth generation or whatever this or whatever. And he says, oh, really? Really? Uh, which wife would that be? <laughs> Next client. And uh, so well, that's a pretty good comeback. But anyway, uh, unquestioning commitment to its leader. Okay, questioning doubt and dissent or discouraged or even punished. Right? Speaking of Mormons, we saw that before. We'll get into this in much greater detail. But I've already kind of let the, a little bit of the cat out of the bag. Is their punishment, if you try to get away, okay, is what? It's called blood atonement that you have to have your blood spill, which means they have to kill you. That's their teaching. Still goes on today. Okay, to atone for that blood. You will be punished. That's the only way you can atone for that sin. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses do it. They have a term called disfellowshipping, right? And if you listen to an apostate or apostate material, basically anything that's not of the Watchtower Society, it's apostate, right? And you will be disfellowshipped. They won't look at you. They'll turn away from you. They'll turn their own family away from you. I've got friends, even... Good friends on the East Coast, they've experienced the heartache of that still to this day. Their own parents. No, can't do it. Okay, punish. Mind-altering practices such as meditation, chanting, speaking in tongues, denunciation sessions, and debilitating work routines are used in excess <clears throat> to serve to suppress doubts about the group and its leaders. Why are they doing that? Well, if it's a mind-altering technique, which a lot of those uh, other things can get you into in a mind-altering technique, you're not thinking straight. So if you're not thinking straight or you're in la-la land, so to speak, you're not going to be able, you're not worried about questioning anything. Also, it says they're debilitating work routines, keeping you so busy, so tired, you ain't got time to think, right? That's another sign uh, of a cult. The leadership dictates sometimes in great detail how members should think, act, or feel. Uh, members must get permission to date, change jobs, marry, uh, or leaders prescribe what types of clothes to wear where to live, whether or not to have children, how to discipline children, and so on and so forth. One guy that I work with, uh, he, he longed to have uh, some grandkids. Uh, but guess what? Uh, his son and daughter, as adults, got hooked up into. Jehovah's Witnesses. And one of the things that they do is they suck people in, just like Seventh-day Adventists, and they're you know, into prophecy. Of course, they got a whole different view on it and things of that nature. Uh, but since they have so many false prophecies are out there, and we'll get into that, Lord willing, uh, that Jesus is supposed to come back this year, Jesus is supposed to come back here, and Jesus is supposed to write that there, that they actually refuse to have any kids because they're convinced that, you know, nope, not, I don't want to. Anyway, it's sad, okay, but they dictate. In fact, the Moonies, the Moonies, uh, just a little side note, so they talk about your marriage, who to marry, who to, what you do, socks you wear, the whole, right? They have, that's, this is one of their big major uh, things that they do, one of their ceremonies. It's called the Holy Marriage Blessing Ceremony, if you're not familiar with it. And this is the Moonies. It's a large-scale wedding or marriage rededication ceremony sponsored by the Unification Church, the Unis. And this is Sun Young Moon, 
okay? He's given to married or engaged couples. You have to go, you go through this uh, uh, ceremony. Uh, through it, the members of the Unification Church believe that the couple is removed by going through this ceremony, removed from the lineage of sinful humanity and engrafted into God's sinless lineage. That's how you get rid of the sin nature? What? As a result, the couple's marital relationship and any children born after the blessing, they call it, exists free from the consequences of original sin. You bring that kid in here, you stick him in our nursery. We'll demonstrate, Ron, in 15 seconds who's got a sin nature and who doesn't. They all do, right? And so do we, right? Find out real fast. What? All right. The men and the women who receive the blessing are called blessed central families who are conducive, listen, who are conducive for now the kingdom of heaven. So now you go through this ceremony, this marriage ceremony in mass, and you were made acceptable to make it in heaven. What a bunch of baloney. That's a cult. That's a sign of a cult, right, is what he's talking about there. The group is elitist. And for those of you hooked on correct spelling, that's E-L-I-T-I-S-T. That's right, uh, elitist, claiming a special exalted status for itself, its leaders or members. For example, the leader is considered the Messiah, right? Like Jim Jones eventually fessed that up there. Uh, a special being, an avatar. Isn't that the term nowadays, the avatar, right? Some great spiritual leader, right? Or the group and or the leader is on a special mission to save humanity. Join him as we all, because I think mankind basically wants to make a difference in the world. Nothing wrong with that. But these guys come along, they suck people's energies up and they suck their desire up and they lead them straight into falsehood and eventually away from Jesus Christ and eventually straight into hell, right? They take a good desire and they twist it, contort it. And that's what the enemy does. But there's a lot of people nowadays, folks, that are going around the planet that literally claim to be the Messiah. And again, I mentioned the Moonies, Sun Young Moon. Listen to what he had said. Of course, by the way, uh, he said that he not only was the Messiah, but he was the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of that, Tom. Remember that video? A couple of weeks? Yeah. He's the, what is it? Oh, by the way, he died. Repeat after me. He's not the Lord of the universe. <laughs> You're dead, right? Found out too late. Jesus of Siberia, listen to this. He's got thousands of his own disciples. Uh, who think that he is Jesus because, after all, listen, here's the qualifications. He walks around in a crimson robe. He's got long brown hair. And his devotees say that he radiates incredible love. And speaking to him is like an electric shock or bells ringing. Yeah. Where do you get that from? Not in the Bible. Right? This one, I've shared this before. The guy, I kid you not, last time I checked, is still going on in Pennsylvania. The guy, he claims to be Jesus. He walks around, and he's called What's Your Name. I'm not making this up. The reason why he's called What's Your Name is because they go up to him, and he's dressed like Jesus, right? Look, at least the English version of Jesus, right? Walking around this town in Pennsylvania. And they go up to him. They say, well, what's your name? And he, he only replies, what's your name? So, they, <laughs> so that's his name. What's your name? It's like the anointing version of the Messiah or something. But thousands of people visit this guy. Okay, and says, I was in his presence for an hour and I felt unbelievable. So that's what dictates truth is your feelings. David Shaler, he's the self-proclaimed MI5 Messiah. He used to work for the British uh, Secret Service. Uh, he said, quote, here's how he became, he got the truth. I started meditating. First problem. Uh, then I learned how to channel the light. Second problem. And the more research I did in Freemasonry, Knights Templar, and the Kabbalah, Ron, get your gun. <laughs> the more I became convinced I was the Christ. And then uh, a psychic, uh, in, later a psychic channeled the spirit of Mary Magdalene and anointed him the Messiah. And he said, direct quote, finally, my whole life made sense. Okay. John Miller, this guy's popular. He's from Australia. He's a former IT worker in uh, Australia. He claims that he's Jesus Christ back from the dead. What's the Bible say about Jesus when he comes back? He's coming back. The same way he left, visibly on the earth, okay? And, he, uh, and he's spreading his message uh, called the divine truth. He's currently right now, as we sit here, on a worldwide tour with his girlfriend, Mary. And not just any Mary, but supposedly Mary Magdalene, who witnessed his crucifixion. And she's the one who heads up his video ministry. Lord Maitreya, of whom thousands of people all over the world consider him to be Jesus, because when he appears on the scene, supposedly, healing springs take place, weeping and bleeding statues, oh, right? And, and quote, divine messages inscribed by the seeds within the fruit and vegetables. Now, if you guys had an apple and it started wiggling, what would you do? 
Ron, get your gun. <laughs> it's crazy. And he's got his cohort, kind of like a false prophet guy, Benjamin Krim. I remember him back in the New Age days. Uh, he's saying that all these signs that we're seeing uh, in the world is, is this guy. He's about to make his appearance, Lord Maitreya. Jose Miranda, we talked about him before, but uh, uh, he not only said that he was Jesus Christ on tape, CNN interview. Uh, but he, said he has his followers tattoo 666 on their bodies as a sign of allegiance to him. And he says that we got it all wrong. 666 is actually a blessing. He taught that uh, heaven can be found here on earth simply by following him, that there is no sin and there is no hell. Well, that's what everybody wants to hear, isn't it? And they dupe him, and boy, did he ever. But he recently died, and you thought that was over? A guy recently appeared back on the scene, a much skinnier version. I guess death was pretty hard on him. Uh, and he's claiming to be this guy back from the dead. Like they keep it going. It's like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, a couple more here. Wayne Bent, he's uh, uh, of the Lord Our Righteous Church. Well, that makes it a church. Okay. Uh, was convicted in 2008 for criminal sexual contact of a minor uh, and two counts of contributing to the delinquency of a minor. He's a former Seventh-day Adventist pastor who left his congregation claiming that during an experience in his living room, quote, God told him, there's those words again, you stick right here. God told us right here. And God ain't going to tell you that you're the Messiah. But that's the phrase. When you get outside the source of authority, the Bible, it's oh, fair game for false teaching. And he says, quote, God told him, you are the Messiah. And later he agreed, saying, I am the embodiment of God. I am divinity and humanity combined. Let's talk to your wife for about 15 minutes here, buddy. Have you noticed that in marriage? Now, don't get the wrong impression. Brandy and I are doing great, and we did not argue on the way here. But I mean, <laughs> you know, marriage, we're talking about this a little bit on Sunday. It's kind of funny. Is, uh, you know, you think you're, you're doing good, right, as a, as a husband or a wife or a person, you know, male, female, and you get married, and, and then you find out, man, you weren't as cool as you thought you were, right? And who points that out for you so faithfully? <laughs> that guy's wife, if we interviewed her, He's not the embodiment of God. But let's move on. One more, and we've got to move on. Uh, Henry Cristo of Brazil, he's at, uh, he was born to Roman Catholic parents, and who said that as a child, he started to, quote, obey a powerful voice that spoke inside of his head. First mistake. He not only claims to be Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ reincarnated. Does the Bible teach that? No, Hebrews 9.27 is appointed man to die once, then face judgment. You don't keep coming back again. And they say, well, well, it says right there, you're going to be born again. It's talking about spiritual birth, not physical birth. Okay, and by the way, it didn't say born again and again and again and again and again. Like, right? It's, you know, read the Bible, okay? But he makes appearances all over the world, mainly over in Europe. Uh, and he travels around with an entourage of young, attractive women, and he rides around on a scooter. And he makes Portuguese pop songs declaring his ministry. See, it sounds like I'm making this up, but it's true. If you check this out, Ingri uh, Christo, I'll even spell it so you can look at it. I-N-R-I, and another word, Christo, C-R-I-S-T-O, of Brazil, right? Because we all know the Bible is very clear. When Jesus comes back at his second coming, he's going to be riding on a scooter with these chicks on his scooter with singing Portuguese pop song. Hey, it's him! <laughs> but again, how could people even fall for this? Because these are people in Fran over in France, I don't have time to get into it too deep. Over in France, they said, he's Jesus, it's got to be him. It's like, what? How could you, what? Get away from the Bible. Oh, you might own one. It's collecting dust, but you don't know it. And guess what? You're wide open for all this baloney. Okay, and next thing you know, maybe you don't fall for these. You'll get sucked into that, sucked into the cult. Oh, by the way, we're not even there yet, but you're going to see a lot of people, even the Christian, them get sucked into the occult. And you know one of the biggest ways they're doing that? It's called Hollywood. And how many Christians are being trained by Hollywood and they're getting indoctrinated into the dark arts, been there, done that, into witchcraft, into kind of all kinds of Satanism and stuff. Oh, you think it's entertainment? No, it's not. But we'll get there maybe eventually. But anyway, so that's what we see there is going on with that group. He claims to be the Messiah. The group has also a polarized us versus them mentality and may cause conflict with the wider of society, right? And typically, this is where you find they have their nuances, right? That they're different than everybody else, Right? Like Jehovah's Witnesses, they refuse to call anybody father. They refuse to celebrate a birthday or holidays because that would be, right? Just something to be different. You know, Mormons can't have caffeine. Got to stay away from that. But you own companies like Coca-Cola. 
It's called a hypocrite. But anyway, the leader is not accountable to any authorities, unlike other examples of teachers, military commanders, etc. blah, blah, blah. The group teaches or implies that it's supposedly exalted ends justify whatever it means it deems necessary. Uh, this may result in members participating in behaviors or activities they would have considered reprehensible or unethical before joining the group, for instance, uh, lying to family or friends or collecting money for bogus charities. Hare Krishnas do that. They lie. Oh, please, we're helping the orphans. No, you're not. But they, and they know they're lying. But they say the ends justify the means. We're doing this for our religion, so it makes it okay. So that's another sign that you're uh, involved in a, a cult. Uh, the leadership induces feelings of shame and or guilt in order to influence and or control, there's your word again, control members. Often this is done through peer pressure and subtle forms of persuasion. As I mentioned with the Mormons and specifically the Jehovah's Witnesses, that they'll turn your whole family on you. Catholicism the same way. Have fun getting out of there, typically. I can't tell you how many people I've counseled and encouraged, and they know it's not true or whatever, and they say, but man, if I go, I know what's going to happen. My whole family, they're going to... It's pressure, right? Hey, it's true if it's true. Walk away, right? But there's that pressure. That's a sign of a cult, okay? Control. Subservience to the leader or group requires members to cut ties with family and friends, radically alter personal goals, activities that they had before joining the group. The group... Now, the next several ones, this is scary because... The, and this is a secular definition of what constitutes a cult. But you look at these next couple of ones, and they could say that about you and I. And can I tell you something? They are saying about you and I. Evangelical Christianity, not liberal fake Christianity. Evangelical Christianity. The group is preoccupied with bringing in new members. <gasps> we, of course, it's called evangelizing, right? But that's now made the list of you're a cult? Uh, the group is preoccupied with making money. Oh, we passed the plate, we're a cult. Oh. No? Members are expected to devote inordinate amounts of time to the group and group-related activities. I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but we got one of the biggest cultists in this church, and it started recently. Her name is Debbie Jubenville right there. I'm sorry, Jim, but she's in here an inordinate amount of time. She's cleaning. She's helping the church, and, and Sandy's now coming in with it. I mean, she's, these people are weird. <laughs> no, it's called Christian service, right? But again, notice how that can be twisted. We know that, but the world looks at, oh, you're not in a cult, are you? That one's a little concerning there, those three. Members are encouraged or required to live and or socialize only with group members. We don't uh, encourage that because how's the lost ever going to be one if we stick to our Christian cliques? Ooh, interesting. Uh, the most loyal members, the true ones, <laughs> right? feel that there can be no life outside the context of the group. They believe there is no other way to be and often fear reprisals to themselves or others and uh, if others leave or can even consider leaving the group, right? It's the true ones, right? They stick there and stick it out and go straight to hell, which is sad. Now, that's what definition, the secular definition is called. Let's take a look at some of the, if you will, sociological uh, characteristics. First of all, typically you're always going to have authoritarian leadership, right? Next page. The leader exercises excessive, right? Excessive is your blank there, control, where his or her word is considered ultimate and final, okay? This often involves a legalistic submission to the rules and regulations of the group as established by the leader. Cult members are required to submit even if they do not agree with the requirements. Unquestioning obedience is what? Mandatory. And again, that's what we do here, as you all know. No, right? We're not the thought police. Here's what we believe the scriptures teach or whatever. That's between you and God, right? And certain things, yeah, I wish I had that button, but I don't because it's not a cult. You had the freedom to walk away. You had the freedom to disagree, right? But as I was trained in the seminary, hey, if you're going to disagree, if you're going to make accusations against me or any of the teachers here teaching, it's got to come from here. Not your personal preference, not your pet peeves, right? Oh, your toes got stepped on? Maybe it was conviction, Right? So if we did something wrong, it's got to line up here. And then absolutely, you have every right to bring correction and talk about that, but it better be right here. Right? Okay? But that's what this is, unquestioned. You can't even do that. Right? You can't even do that with a cold. Unquestioned. Right? Don't even talk about that. How dare you question? Right? The scriptures are clear that there is organization within a local body of believers, with leadership being given by elders. Uh, scriptures also call believers to submit and to obey their elders. But there's a caveat. We'll get to that in a second. 
For this reason, I left you in Crete that you would be set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city. If you do the study with church leadership, elders is synonymous with pastor. A pastor is an elder. Uh, Like my position as an elder is I'm the lead teaching elder pastor, shepherd, right? Whose scripture says is worthy compensation. That's I get paid for this full time from the body of the church, right? But I'm an elder. Technically, there you got elders, deacons, things of that nature. All right, and so that's what Paul wanted to establish leadership in the church. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction. In the Lord is the key phrase there, right? Because if your leadership gets something wrong, doesn't mean you got to be mean and nasty to them, doesn't mean you can't confront like a colt. No, you can't confront, just make sure it's biblical, make sure your heart's right, and make sure you do it in love. Okay, is that nature. But notice, ultimately, even if you disagree, whose are they accountable to? Who am I accountable to? Who is the leadership of this church accountable to, ultimately? God. And sometimes I've had to do this with people I've sat under in internships that I disagreed with, respectfully. Listen, that's between you and God. That's on your shoulders. You're the dude in charge, not me. Right? It's in the Lord. Okay, that you esteem them very highly in love because of the work, live in peace with one another. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will what? Give an account. See, that's what's different with this authoritarian one. They don't believe, they're not answerable to anybody. Do whatever we want, do whatever we say. How dare you even question nobody? I don't have to answer to nobody. And then they go the ultimate route and they say, I am God, I'm Jesus, I'm Messiah. Right, things of that nature, okay? But to give an account, let them do this with joy, not with grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. The scriptures are also clear that everything that is taught by a leader must be, here it is, here's the caveat, must be compared with scripture. Here's your blank. Scripture. Okay, and that the leaders must be qualified, right? They must be qualified, okay? And I think that's, we've talked about this before, not only last time with the, how do you spot a fake, phony, counterfeit Christian, whether it be a Christian or a Christian pastor, I think a lot of people are in leadership positions, even as in pastors, and they're not called. Oh, they wanted to. Oh, you went and got a degree. Oh, you did your little thing, got hands laid on you, but you're not called. You're not gifted for that. And I think it shows. I think it happens a lot. And then what happens is it's not just that, you, that that needs to be a calling and a giftedness from God, but in First and Second Timothy and Titus, what's called the pastorals, the books that Paul wrote to young pastor, if you will, Timothy and Titus, here's some qualifications for elders and deacons. Now, it's not nobody can live up to all those all at the same time because we're all still, myself, even have a sin nature. But hopefully you've got most of those babies ironed out by now, that you're spiritually at a point where that's a pretty good format right? And there might be a couple weak ones, but that doesn't mean you roll over and play dead. No, that means that hopefully prayerfully that you are working on those weaknesses currently and turn them into strengths, right? It doesn't mean you just don't do anything about it, but you got to have certain qualifications, okay, with that as well. But it has to be compared with scripture. Now, and here's the example, okay? Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to what? To see whether these things were so. And this is what's different with a cult. You can't see whether these things are so. You can't even question if it's so. You have to take it, swallow it. Don't you dare question or you. And typically what they'll do is they'll hold your, quote, salvation over your head. You do that, you're going to go to hell. You're gonna, you know, it's, it's the fear factor that they hang over people's heads. Now, and again, I think we see a good balance, a biblical balance, with the issue with David and Saul, right? Saul was the king. Was Saul a good king? No, right? And uh, uh, David was the man after God's own heart. And eventually, Saul lost his kingship because he was a bad leader. And he sinned against God. He didn't do what God said to do, okay? But the, he wasn't disposed of yet, Okay, and David was anointed to be the next guy, but it wasn't time, right? And so David just sat there, and he just took everything, and he never said a word. No, if you read the scripture, okay, David challenged Saul. He called Saul. He spoke up. He didn't just take it. He spoke up and said, hey, listen, what are you doing? What are you trying to kill me? I haven't done nothing. Remember the one account where he's across the ravine in safety because he didn't have a gun back then, Ron, but they had the other weapons, right? He's, right? And so he spoke up against them, right? Because you have to speak up, but you can do it respectfully. And he did it more than once. In fact, one time when uh, they, were, uh, uh, they were in the cave hiding out, remember that? And then Saul had to go to the bathroom. That's what's going on in the scripture. And he didn't know the guys were back in the cave, David and his mighty men in the army, right? And so he's 
going to the bathroom, and David snuck up, and his men are going, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him, kill him. Get this guy. He's trying to kill you after all. And by the way, you're supposed to be the king. But it wasn't God's time. David cut a little bit off his robe, and he felt guilty about that. And he apologized for that. Okay? But again, why? Because, listen, I might disagree with you, and I have the right to disagree with you. But it means to be dealt with scripturally, respectfully, and ultimately, if I disagree, I'm not going to usurp the chain of command from God. God's going to deal with you. And did God deal with Saul? And he took him out, right? And David waited for God's time. And I think that's what helped make David such a great leadership. He waited on God's uh, timing there. Okay, but anyway, that's the balance there. With a cold, you can't question, you can't do nothing, you can't bring up nothing, you just shut your mouth, take it, and that's, that's a sign of a cold, right? Okay, let's continue on. It's not just that, it's exclusivism. Most cults view themselves as the single means of salvation on earth, right? Isn't that what it is? Hey, it's too bad, you guys. <laughs> it's us. We've got to, right? But again, see, that's a little bit dangerous because you know what the world says of you and I, the Christian, who stand on John 14, 6, Jesus' words, not mine. I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody has the, comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said that. This is what they charge you and I with. And they're now saying that you and I are just as dangerous as the exclusivist uh, Muslims who believe that their way is the only way. And so they're, they're, they're prepping people's minds to think, well, see, see, they're not joining the rest of us saying that all paths lead to heaven. They say that their way is the only way. Once again, they're twisting it, right? Okay, but, and they say that if you leave the group, once again, it's in danger of your soul. Uh, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. In other words, there's a test. Really? Put it to the test. If this is how you say I get to heaven, I should be able to test it. Ask a question. And if, and if I have a question, what's to be? And if it's the truth, what are you worried about? See, you and I, when people come and they ask us, well, how do you know that's true? When we get equipped, hey, you don't need to run. Here's the answer. Here's why. But with Colts, it's like, how dare you even think about that? How could you even mention that? How could you say it? I don't have a problem. If it's the truth, you can defend it. If it's a lie, you can't. Okay? Uh, opposition to independent thinking, independent thought and discovery is discouraged, okay? And this is what you see with the Jehovah's Witnesses, okay? Basically, the bulk you think, well, they, they're in the Bible. Well, first of all, their Bibles we saw before is the perverted version, okay? Uh, and it is perverted, right? And uh, they, they, it was put together not by Hebrew and Greek scholars. They didn't know Hebrew and they didn't know Greek. It was just whooped up, okay? And again, we'll get into that, Lord willing, in greater detail later, Okay, the bulk of the material comes from the Watchtower Society. It's pamphlets. It's basically pablum that's ordered, put out to people. Uh, Catholicism basically does the same thing. Guy I used to work with, he was so blown away that I'm constantly by myself reading the Bible. Hey, what are you doing that for? We don't need to read the Bible. The priest will tell us what, what we need to know. What? I mean, but don't you want to read yourself? I don't need to. And he says that if, they, if they did have something, it was some literature that was printed out from the headquarters. In fact, the headquarters typically told them even the so-called priests, what to, quote, talk about that time. It wasn't like, oh, they're in the Bible, they're searching. There's none of that stuff, right? But that's what's going on. Opposition to independent thinking. It's a closed loop, right? Even though they have their perverted, quote, Bibles, oftentimes it's not even uh, promoted to even get in those, okay? And by the way, you and I, the Christian community, for decades now, have, if you will, in a weird sense, been helping the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses clean up their Bibles, the perverted Bibles, Right? Because we have pointed out so many errors that guess what they come up with? A new version. Guess what they do with the old versions? Everyone they get their hands on. Get rid of them. Destroy the evidence. But a lot of times what you'll have is you'll have former Jehovah's Witnesses, former uh, Mormons, and they'll come out and they still have them in their libraries and they go, oh, no, this is what was really in there. You just can't find it anymore because they keep printing new ones and get rid of the old ones, right? It's the old switcheroo. Anyway, let's continue on. And so independent thought and discovery are discouraged. The cult leadership provides all information. The proper response is to submit, right? And this is actually what, the contrary to what we do. We encourage you to guess what? I, here's a pastor's dream. I actually hope that you guys don't only listen to me on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. I hope you're in the Bible independently, with your own brain, reading it for yourself. What a concept. You're not going to get that in a cold. Okay, uh, let's continue on. Be diligent to present yourself to God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling 
the word of truth. The standard uh, evangelical definition of a Christian cult is any group that deviates from biblical Christianity and fundamental doctrines of the faith. Again, source of authority, nature of God, the Trinity, personal work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the means of salvation. In many cases, these groups use the same words as true Christians, but radically redefine the terms. As we saw before, their Jesus is not the same as our Jesus. When you say, oh yeah, you need to get saved, they say, oh, I agree, you gotta get saved. Well, how do you, what, what's your salvation, right? Oh, you believe in God. Well, who's your God, right? You gotta get behind that. They read the fun. Classic examples of the cults are Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Christian Science, and the International Church of Christ. But before we finish up the last page, give it up for Cheryl. Apparently, she was really praying big time. I wanted to get into this issue of the authoritarian issue. And this has actually gone into the Christian church. There's a mindset there. And typically, not that it's always, because there's other Protestant denominations that will unfortunately do this, but a large part of it does come, unfortunately, and I'm not just picking on charismatics, okay, but does come from the charismatic community. And there's a, there's a phrase that, uh, uh, that people are saying, if you dare disagree with some of these guys who claim to be a prophet of God, who claim to have a word from God, okay, they literally say, how dare you, quote, and here's the thing, touch not thine anointed. Now, that is a biblical phrase, but I'm sorry, it's taken out of com complete context, right? Okay, and it basically means what a cult means. Shut your mouth, how dare you even disagree with me? Now, the, believe it or not, uh, this is rampant in the church today. I get phone calls, emails, and people say, how dare, I can't believe you mentioned uh, Rick Warren by name. You mentioned Joel Olstein. You called out Benny Hinn. You said this about the Crouch family. You said, well, I'm just quoting their words. But guess what? I'm a pastor, and I'm supposed to warn the flock. Are you supposed to do learn by osmosis who I'm talking about? Let's play the guessing game, right? No, okay. And it's actually a sign that these guys with their attitudes that how dare you, and again, this isn't a cult. This isn't world religions. This is so-called Christianity. Have a cultic mindset that you can't question these guys who have a word from God, right? First Timothy 4.2, the spirit clearly says in the latter, latter times, some will abandon the faith, follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as a hot iron. Second Peter 2.3, in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them. Their destruction has not been sleeping. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature, listen, and despise authority. So what does a seared consciousness in the last days who despises authority, even the authority of the word of God, what does that look like today? Let me give you just one example. This is a transcript of Vinnie Hinn on the Trinity Broadcasting Network when people were calling him and the others there out on the carpet for their false teachings. On tape, here's what he said. He said, you people of God, quit attacking man of God. This is the direct deal. Okay, by name, because that's the thing. You, okay, you can talk about false teachings, but you can't mention somebody's name. How many of you guys heard that? Read your Bible. Right? And this is what he says, you can't mention people's name. Somebody's attacking me because of something I'm teaching. Let me tell you something, brother. You watch it. Dear God in heaven, I wish I could have a just, mm, and he makes a punch emotion. You, you, you know, I look for one verse in the Bible. I just can't seem to find it. One verse that said, if you don't like him, kill him. I really wish I could find it. The audience laughs. He goes on. He says, but don't mention people's names on your radio program and your TV program thinking you're doing God's service. You're not. You stink. And then the audience goes, amen, hallelujah. And then he says this, quote, Sometimes I wish God would give me a Holy Ghost machine gun. I would blow your head off. Now, if I got up here and somebody disagreed with me, and I says, excuse me, how dare you talk to me that way? I wish I had a Holy Ghost machine gun. I'd blow your head off. If I said that, would that be acceptable? Then why is it acceptable for this guy? And is it wrong for me to talk about this? Of course not. Read your Bible. We've been so conditioned that we can't even call out any kind of error. No wonder error is going all over the church. Read the scripture. What did Jesus, what's all Matthew, before you get into the signs of the times, Matthew 24, what's Matthew 23? Jesus is calling out who? The Pharisees, by name, in public. And what's he say about him? He says, you are a bunch of blind men, blind fools, blind guys, brood of vipers, band of murderers, bag of dead man's bones, and a bunch of hypocrites, and he did it with exclamation points in public. Jesus did that. Is that wrong? Don't think so. Paul called people out by name in the church. Read the Bible. 
1 Timothy chapter 1, 18 through 20. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected these. Oh, I guess you'll just get to wonder for the rest of your life. Who's he talking about? Some have rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. He called them out by name. And then he even said this, whom I've handed over to Satan to not to be taught to blaspheme. To be taught not to blaspheme. 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 18. Paul says this, avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them, here it is again, Hymenaeus. He mentions this guy twice. And then he, apparently another guy, Amphiletus, who have wandered away from the truth. They say the resurrection has already taken place and they destroyed the faith of some. So guess what? Paul loved the church enough. He loved these young pastors in training enough to say, listen, watch out for not just this false teaching. Watch out for these guys by name who are spreading the teaching, destroying the faith of others and have shipwrecked their own. But today you can't mention somebody's name. Excuse me, that's a lie from the pit of hell. What Bible are you reading? A pastor is called not only to feed the sheep, you're called to protect the sheep. And it is my ministry and is the ministry of the leadership of this church as deacons, as everyone who teaches the word of God, we are called to protect one another. Mention the name. You don't need to do it in arrogance, right? You don't need to belittle, but you need to mention the name. Right? So people know who to stay away from. That's what you're supposed to do. Hey, last page. Maybe we can get her done. Uh, the key passage to understand, here's how you deal with them. Right? So that's world religions, cults. How do you deal with them? All right? It's 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks to give you an account for the hope that was in you with gentleness and reverence. He's going to bust it apart. First thing, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Speaking of the believers, submitting to Christ. Submitting to Christ as the Lord of their life. The Christian in the deepest part of his or her being is committing to honoring Christ as Lord, even, listen, in the midst of suffering. When you go into this and when you're dealing with falsehood heirs, when you're dealing with world religions, falsehood heirs, cults, and the occult, you have to, guess what? It's not always going to be popular. People aren't always going to like to hear it. They don't want to hear it. Even some people you sit with in the pew, they're like, I have to submit to Jesus. Jesus comes first. The word of God comes first. And I have to speak up. Because this isn't like, well, it's just too bad that, you know, you know, um, you like Chinese food and I like cheeseburgers. Oh, well, no, this is eternity on the line. People's souls are on the line. All eternity. If they get this wrong, they're going to hell. Don't you care? And so you have to be willing to submit to Christ. Jesus comes first and I need to stand on the truth. I have to. Not just for me because I've submitted him, but for your own sake, even if you don't want to hear. Even if I have to suffer and you hate my guts. I'd rather have you hate me and go to heaven than love me and go to hell. But you have to submit to Christ because guess what? Truth is not popular nowadays. Certainly not God's truth. And so we have to be submitted to Christ and say, I'm going to be willing to take the heat whether you get it right now or not because I see what you can't see. So you need to do that. Always being ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Here always means always perpetually, incessantly, at any time, every time, when according to the circumstances, something ought to be done. At any moment, we should be ready, prepared to make a defense, apologia, a reason, statement, argument. Believers should be able to give a rational explanation of their salvation in Christian faith. Again, why are we doing, what's the method to the madness with Wednesday nights? Get equipped. Get equipped to share our faith, to be those disciples, right? We're in our, to our fourth year of these kind of studies, and we're not done. We're still scraping the surface so that we can give a reasoned defense for the hope that lies within us. Always ready. How can you always be ready to give a defense at any angle, any question, at any time? You better get equipped. And that's what we're doing. Why? Because the, I'm not making this up. You just said that. <laughs> always. I didn't say God did. You always have to be ready. Can I tell you something? That's not happening in the church. Before I got saved, it was my sick privilege as a non-Christian to chew Christians and spit them out. You couldn't even ask uh, basic of questions. And I'd ask good, logical questions. How do you know the Bible came from God? How do you even know God exists? I just believe. Right? How do you know Jesus rose from the dead? How do you know it's a bunch of baloney? I just knew he did. And I would equate that as a non-Christian going, you guys are so intellectually inept. 
Get out of here. Now, there's answers for all that, but people weren't equipped to do what the Scripture says to do. That's what we're doing. We're fulfilling the Scripture. We're doing what we're supposed to do. But that's what we need to do always. Okay, you got to get it going. Yet, here's the point with gentleness. Here's your attitude. Gentleness and reverence. That's how we provide the defense. The answer should be with humility and respect. Other passages speak about not being quarrelsome, but sharing in love. Uh, the Lord's bondservant must not be what? Quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wrong, with gentleness correcting, as your blank there, those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Okay, we need to do it uh, without being quarrelsome. But unfortunately, how many times do you get people, they get learn this stuff and they go, hey, hey, I know everything wrong about Islam. Dude, this is not a debate, right? It's not about, yeah, I'm just proving that I'm right and you're wrong. <laughs> this is not some mind treaties thing. This is not for your entertainment. This is for you to get equipped so now you can share it in a loving fashion. Hold to it. May not be popular. Stick to your gun. Stick to the truth. But don't be nasty about it. This is not a game, right? This is not a debate. You're just so you can, oh, you're a loser, loser. That's the wrong attitude, right? And, and that the issue with love. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about every wind of doctrine, but by the trickery of men, by craftiness of deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in what? Love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him, the head, even Christ. Biblical love does not mean keeping your mouth shut. That's what the world wants you and I to think. If you really love me, just leave me alone. Excuse me? Biblical love is loving the person enough to tell them the truth. But when you tell the truth, you tell them love without being a quarrelsome person. Here's your practical list. Again, yield your heart to Jesus. Sanctify your heart. Pray. It's your blank there, number two. This is not a battle of wits or a debate of words. It's a battle for the truth. We, uh, though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not flesh. They are divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive in obedience to Christ. Be ready, number three, to give a good understanding of the scriptures. Listen, the cultists you generally run across will know the Bible well, at least their version. However, the cultists will generally use the Bible out of context. Right? That's the big issue. Out of context or interpreted on some other authority uh, from within the cult. You may want to ask the cultists to read the passage aloud uh, themselves to show the context. I use that all the time. I'll get to that in hopefully just a second. Number four, don't argue. Don't attack. Is your blank there, the last blank? Don't attack the person. Number five, make sure you define the words. Again, uh, who's your God? You say, oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. Who's your God? Who's Jesus? And don't get off on tangents, right? I always had an instructor that encouraged this, and boy, is it great advice. You're witnessing to somebody, and man, you're like right there. You're right there, man. You're almost ready to give the Romans road, so to speak. And man, it's right there. God is holy. You are not the wages of sin is death. I mean, you're right there, and all of a sudden they go, oh, yeah? What about dinosaurs? How does that fit in the Bible? And you're, I mean, you're right there, and you're, you're like, okay, would you, you're just about ready to say, would you, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And all of a sudden they go, I saw this show on the History Channel about UFOs, and I was like, Listen, there's answers for that. We've dealt with that. We've ta I've taught on that. Right? And, and you need to get equipped with that. I get that. But right now, your greatest need is Jesus. And he'd always instruct us, but get him back. Don't get off on a tangent, right? You, you were that close, man. Follow through. Say, you know what? That's a good question. That's a great question. I got an answer for that. But right now, let's get back to Jesus. Gee, right? You see what I'm saying? Because that's their greatest need. I give them an answer about dinosaurs, then they still go to hell. Now, I'm not, don't throw the baby out the bathwater again. Uh, get equipped on that issue. But the greatest need is Jesus. Don't get off on tangents. The important points are the authority, nature of God, Jesus, man, and the means of salvation. I'm going to close with going back to that. It says, out of context. Okay? You have to get it because they're going to use it out of context, right? When I was pastoring in New York, or excuse me, in Northern California, uh, there was a, a high a, a Catholic community again, a Hispanic community in that area. And uh, I had this lady who, he, uh, you ever have a Christian uh, bring a non-Christian to you and want you to do the saving? <laughs> so that was kind of like one of these things. All right, whatever. So she brought her in, and she was a Catholic, and uh, so she's like, hey, I want to introduce you to Pastor Billy. And basically, they give you that look like, go get him. Right? And uh, so we got to rapping and stuff, and basically I honed in. What's her greatest need? If a bird's not saved, what's their greatest need? 
give me an answer on what's the difference between predestination and election. No, that's not what it is. It's how to get to heaven. Right? And so I, I sat there, and she was in my office and whatever, and she was, had the Catholic mindset. It's by works. Keep the sacraments. Right? It's a works-based salvation, a full salvation. And she, and she would just, we would go round and round. Just, and she said, no, it's not. The priest told me that you have to keep the sacrament. I said, I'm, no, I'm sorry. It's, it's, not, it's a gift from God. And then she, she made the proverbial statement. Well, where does it say that in the Bible? Here's what I did. I said, could you come here a little closer to your mouth? And so I whooped it up, and I, I said, I didn't, I didn't quote it for her. I had her read. I, I turned it around. I said, see these right here, Ephesians 2 and verses 8 through 9. Um, could, could, you, could you read that for me? And I kid you not, she turned around, and she was genuinely wondering. And she goes, okay, fine, I'll read it. And she goes, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works that no one can boast. And she literally sat, her, draw, her jaw was off. And then she kind of like, like, almost was like, why didn't somebody tell me this? Uh, what? Uh, what? And she was completely, she had never read that before. All her life she'd been told, no, you have to work your way to heaven by doing this and that and whatever the Catholic Church says you have to do. And, and that's what I encourage people to do, especially when you come to John 14, 6. Don't quote it. If you have a Bible, could, could you read that for me? Can you read what Jesus just said? I, I, these are not my words. These are his. What did he say? I'm the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. There's something about reading it with your own eyes. Because they might quote a verse, but they're going to quote it out of context. Right? And there's something about having them read it with their own eyes goes a long way. Lord willing, next time we're actually, give it up for Cheryl. Cheryl. Right on. And uh, so obviously she had it going this week uh, spiritually. And uh, uh, next week, Lord willing, we're going to get into our uh, first actual topic, <laughs> Judaism. And I'm uh, really excited about to get to this because I don't know, there's, uh, there's some more Christianese. On Sunday mornings, we're dealing with uh, the Christianese phrase, seek first God's kingdom. What's that? I don't know. I'm doing it. Right? right? This is another one because in the church today, what's very popular, they say, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We need to support Jerusalem. And that's true. But then you ask a typical Christian, well, how come? I don't know. Right? That's what I want to begin to deal with, as well as what they believe the difference of, and also why the Jewish people, when it comes to Bible prophecy, you better be paying attention to what's going on in the news, because these are some of the biggest signs, the Jewish people, and what's going on in that country, that we're living in the last days. So Lord willing, we'll get to that next week, all right? Let's pray. Oh, Brian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Don't confuse me with the facts. Uh, that's what's going on there. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. 
Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, You shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. 
He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.